So, yeah, getting on the right seat on the bus, which is a, it, 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 it was a very good book at the time. A lot of people read it and, um, it, you know, it said a lot about that because it's so important, isn't it? We've all got different giftings and, and um, you know, different callings, but we're all a part of the same team. Amen. So, as we look into the future, which is an obvious thing, you can become a positive, optimistic, and motivated person if you want to. Yes. Amen. It cannot be permanently imposed from without. That, there's the issue. But must be permanently created from within. That's a guy called Peter Daniels. If you've never heard of Peter Daniels, he's an Aussie, Christian sort of entrepreneur. He's, he's probably in his 90s now. But uh, absolutely incredible man. He wrote a book called it, it, if, if You're Not Living on the Edge, You're Taking Up Too Much Room. <laughs> <laughs> and it, when he was a kid, he had a teacher, uh, I think something like Mrs. Morgan. And she used to be, he was a naughty boy and she used to, the obvious, you're not going to amount to much, Peter, you know, you're a waster, you're, you're wasting your time, and when he got to the multi-millionaire status, he wrote to him, he said, Mrs. Morgan, you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but incredible guy, incredible um, motivator, but solid, solid believer. And um, to the degree... He, he writes somewhere about um, when Pakistan, you've probably seen over the years how they've attacked churches, and he had so much financial influence that and the company um, he was boss of, or there was few of them, I think, they were, they were going to invest in something in Pakistan. And he said to the government, if you don't stop attacking, allowing Christians and persecution and churches to be attacked, we're not investing. Wow. And it caused them to change course. That's what influence can do. So we have to know our collective purpose as, as a group of people. And there are two documented reasons why Jesus came to earth, which you probably know, but I'm going to highlight them here. Documented. You know, we can all have our ideas of this, that and the other. But this is what it says in John 18, 36 to 37. It says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. <coughs> Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. And for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, here it is, first one, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth is my voice. So, so he said, for this cause, this is the cause I've come for, to bear witness to the truth. Second one, which is a bit more obvious, 1 John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil, 
For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. So we see it there. He came to bear witness to the truth, which has many subheadings, obviously, and destroy the works of the evil one. Isn't that great that we're on that side? Yes. I've seen this over the years, and you'll have seen it even if you didn't recognise what was happening. <coughs> Satan uses people, then he, 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 he has no empathy when he's finished with them. Think Saddam Hussein, think Colonel Gaddafi. You can go on and on and on. Hitler, on and on. He'll use them for, for as much evil as he can at the end. Yeah. Doesn't end well, does it? So right there we have our mission. We are to bear witness to the truth and destroy the works of the evil one. Amen. I'm concerned that the church, broadly speaking, in its present state, will not help most churchgoers, most believers, to reach their full potential in their everyday lives. Thus, not playing their full part in advancing God's kingdom as in the above. In other words, uh, there, there's no involvement in bearing witness to the truth or destroying the work of the enemy. So, that's an observation. It's a pretty obvious one, isn't it? We'll never fully get there, obviously. But, uh, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time trying to research how we do get further than we've been in terms of what, we, what the Bible says we can do. You know that, I've said it already. So a kingdom mindset will achieve what is lacking in a church mindset. It really will. A kingdom mindset begins with the following scripture. Again, I'm repeating something here because it's so important at this stage of our time with you. Seek first, first, seek first, Seek first. I've got stuck. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's pretty obvious there as well. It doesn't say seek first his church. It's the kingdom. Much, much bigger deal. You know, even in a, even in a town like Whitley Bend, I know some of you have been in more than one church, and we all know, you know, you go in a certain church, this is what you can expect. You go in another, that's what you expect. Churches, you know, give different uh, signs, don't they, to, to the general population of what church is. Once we nail the kingdom, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious because we're a counterculture and an alternative society. That's how we're meant to be. Yeah. Mm. So seek first the kingdom, and if we do, that changes everything. Only a relatively small part of what we do is in church, isn't it? You know, even if you go to most things in church, if you work the hours out over a week, it's not, it's not a great part of our lives, is it? There's a lot of other things go on. Brother, it's great to see you all. Thank you for coming out on such a rough night as well. So, as well as church, we have to adopt a new way of living. Not just 
if we're saved, we start to go to church. But the question then is, how do we influence others? How do we influence society? They probably, if you tell them you go to church, friends who have, you know, not, who are not Christians and they, they don't really understand church, they, they won't have a clue, will they, of actually what goes on. They don't have a clue. But they do have a clue if they see your life being transformed. Yeah. So, I'm sure you've heard of this. Some of you definitely will have. There are people who think about this all the time and the seven mountains of society or culture, which are family, religion, business, politics, education, <coughs> media, and arts. And Say if you. Again, darling, please. Pardon? Say again. Please. Yeah. Family, religion, business, politics, education, media, and arts. If you've watched the news tonight, probably all of them were on there. Because it's a description of life and society and what's important to people. So a kingdom mindset helps us to understand our responsibility to influence and involve ourselves in the seven mountains of society. All of which affect our lives so much. The church's role in this is to be the regular gatherer of God's people. To worship, to pray, to fellowship, to break bread, to receive instruction. Church is part in the kingdom. There's more to it, but generally that's it. So God's ideal is that Christians greatly influence all of the mountains of society that play such a part in governing and directing our world. Scripture says, as kingdom citizens, we are to rule and reign in life. <coughs> the present attitude to serving God and church life in general will not produce those who can take an influential position in these seven matters. <coughs> Knowing God and putting him first absolutely makes a difference in every area of our lives. In fact, if we allow him to reign in every detail of our lives, we will gradually grow and become internally giants in him. That's what he's looking for. Because Jesus destroys the work of the devil. You know, we only have to go back to the Gospels and see the encounters. And in, in the last two or three weeks when I've been sharing with you, I've got John... Uh, sorry, into Acts, where, where, where Jesus, God anoints him with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he goes around doing good and healing all who are under the power. So we have to, he wants us to live in such a way that we're confident that there's something in us that will change something in them, something in our community. This is the air I breathe. Michael W. Smith, isn't it? This is the air I breathe. The atmosphere's changed. So God speaks into what is not as if it were. 
including your life. When he tells you that you are something that you apparently not, he's telling you what you are through the process of obedience. I'll explain. And we all have said to this five coming to this. You have the potential to become this, to become that, or become the other, if God says that's what you are. When he says it, you're not there. Oh, hallelujah. Same with the church, guys. When God prophesies into a church, you think, well, that's a bit... Is that us? But he's not prophesying into what we are. He's prophesying into what we will be. So when you're born again, God begins to speak to the new creation. The old is not a predictor of the new. Now, you, you know our story, and I'm not going to get into it, but you do know enough to know this. When God began to speak to me about being a pastor, it was ridiculous. Ridiculous. It, would, it, it just was so far-fetched. But in my spirit, man, I knew it. But in my life, I was so far away from that. And I, I guess a number of you in this room can say the same thing. And he starts to tell you what you could, what you can be now that you could never have been before you were born again. So when you receive a word such as God calling you into ministry or, or something that's ahead of you, then God is speaking to the new creation you. He's speaking to what has now been made, even if it's early on in your salvation. He's now speaking to what he has just recreated or what he's been recreating. So we digest that through the old until we come into a place where the Spirit of God is moving or we're, we're waiting on God, you know, in prayer, having a quiet time and where we start to see things differently. So the old is not meant to work it out. We're meant to work it out by faith. Praise God. <coughs> so, what he says to us here at ACOM, you know, and I, I reiterate, I'll stop saying this after a while because you'll get used to us, but nothing I say about the future is a negative about the past. We haven't ridden in on a white horse to rescue anything, you know. <laughs> Thank God for the past. But we're going forward and we want to learn some new stuff if we need to. And we want to be more effective than we have been. However much we can celebrate about the effectiveness of Acorn Church in this community. Amen? Mm. Amen. So, he's not speaking to this restricted old us or old you. Is speaking into your new potential. When God spoke to Gideon through the angel, he called him mighty warrior. It's a funny story, isn't it? Because Gideon plays it down as if, who are you talking to? With words to the effect of, I am not a mighty warrior, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a farmer, or whatever equivalent. I'm not a mighty warrior. 
So God is speaking into his future. He's speaking into what is going to be. And, you know, just to add to that, when, if we wait on God as the new us, then he... Do I need to do anything here? Oh, sorry, thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Andy. I wouldn't have noticed. I did. Till I fell. I wouldn't have noticed till I fell. <laughs> All those who feel have got a healing ministry would have, come, would have come out and got me. Excuse me, wouldn't you? You know, God knew, you see, when he says, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior, God knew that down the line, he didn't need his muscles. Because God was going to do the fighting. God was going to do the equipping. God was going to do it. So he was able to say to him, you're a mighty warrior, you just obey me, you just do. And, and yeah, it's going to be a bit bizarre because you're going to have to look at how they even drink. If they drink a certain way, send them home. Until they got down to a ridiculously low number. And then God does the fighting. Praise God. Mm. Praise God. He's the equipper, you see. We can all do more than we think we can. As long as we know we can't do it. If you see what I mean, a bit of a riddle, that, isn't it? So, we, you see, we know this, don't we? Saved man, saved lady here tonight. We know this has already been spoken over our lives. All things are possible for those who believe. Not if you've had an education or you, you're this kind of person or you're this age. No. If you believe. All things are possible for those who believe. And I've highlighted that. I do this. I, I highlight things to help me. I've highlighted three letters. What are they? Oh, yeah, well done. <laughs> we, want, we want a difficult quiz or I'm trying to catch you out. Oh! I've realised this in my life. All means all. <laughs> Doesn't it? All means all. If it doesn't, we're in trouble because he says to us, all of your sins. Yeah. If he said some, who'd be in trouble if he said only some? <laughs> all! Hallelujah. Forgiven all your sins. So that word is vitally important, as I'm sure you've heard before. So therefore, God can do anything through you so how does this work, and how do you and me, how do we get to where God has said, we'll get to go? This is where I'm taking you. This is where you're going to sit on the bus, and you like it, because it's the right seat. So how do we get there? Where? we are at when God speaks the answer is of course obedience we have to listen and we pray into being then we obey it into being because he speaks to us if you give him time he'll speak clearly he'll guide, he'll lead so having prayed meaning speaking and listening we then obey into being we do what he asks us to do each time you do that, you take a step into God's predicted future over your life. 
And we know, back to Gideon, we know, he went, you know, I've, I've boiled it all down to, you know, a minute or so. It's a process, isn't it? Starts with a big army, ends up with 300. But God has said it. You know, we looked at the fact of, of Jesus asleep in the boat, and he'd already said, we're going over to the other side. So if Jesus says that, you're going, aren't you? No matter what the storm's like, you're going to get there. It's the importance of it. And it's true, you know, if you feel a call on your life, and, you know, it's so long ago now um, where I felt that. But, my goodness, the process of it. But I made it. I made it to where he said. I went through Bible college and struggled with the baggage I was carrying. But I made it. You know, I made it to that day when they said, right, we're sending you to a church. You're going to be... You're going to be the pastor. It was ridiculous. I think I said to you, the first funeral I did was in a house. And in Wales, they do them in houses before you go, you know, to the, to the creme or wherever. It's in the house. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Just did not have a clue. And I felt so... In fact... My heart was bumping so fast. I went to see, one of our elders was in hospital had had a heart attack. <laughs> I'm visiting him, trying to comfort him. Honestly, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I'll be in the next bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought that. My goodness. That's what I was thinking. Because it's a process. So I want the process to go on in my life. I don't want it to stop because I've got grey hair now and got a few years behind me. So church life, as it is, is not producing the level of life that kingdom citizens should and can be enjoying. So we've got a task to do something about this. I'd be saying that wherever I was, by the way. A great example of transformation is seen in Margaret Court. Margaret Court, nee Margaret Smith, was born on July the 16th, 1942, in Albury, New South Wales, Australia. She was the Australian tennis player who dominated women's competition in the 1960s. She won 66 Grand Slams, more than any other woman to this day. And in 1970, she became the second woman after Maureen Connolly in 1953 to win the Grand Slam of tennis singles, Wimbledon, the US Open, Australian Open, French Open titles in the same year. She went away for a while and had a baby and came back and did the Grand Slam again. She's the only player to have achieved the Grand Slam in doubles as well as singles, ever. Winning the four events with a fellow Australian, Kenneth Fletcher, in 1963. And to this day, as I said, she is still the most successful women's tennis player of all time. In Australia, the centre court in Australia is named after Margaret Court. After a tennis career, this is why I've said all that, Margaret went to be a pastor in, uh, in Perth, in Australia. Deb and I had the privilege of going to that church a few years ago, and I, I preached in that church. 
really <coughs> a marvellous church. A couple of thousand people. She's the lead pastor in it. It was like meeting royalty. You know, I'm, I like sports, sort of. Margaret Court. I mean, she was before my era, but I knew she was. I knew, uh, you know, I, I did some homework, obviously, before I, before I got there. And she taught me something amazing. A few things there, but she said, she said, might tell you a funny story in a moment, but anyway, the important thing is, she told us that if she had known Jesus and the power of his word when she was younger, she would have won Wimbledon six times rather than three. <laughs> That's what she said. Never forget. She said she was mentally psyched out of it in a way she would not have been had she have been then the woman that she came to be. She got psyched out by a little player with glasses. Anybody know who I mean? <laughs> Billie Jean King. Yeah, she did. And uh, she, was, she was ill till God, Margaret Court was ill till God restored. It's, it's quite a story. Some of you may know it, but it's quite a story. It was just incredible because in her office, she's obviously she got photos of, you know, maybe at Wimbledon or wherever of her, you know, with the racket and that. And you, you kind of look and think, am I really? Here with Margaret Court, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Leveller, the leveller. What God is looking for, you see, for is the world to look on at our lives and see the result of what being a kingdom citizen achieves. The aim in God is that they will want what you have. Or more importantly, the one, the one that you have. That's what we're aiming for, isn't it? They'll want Jesus. The aim is that they will want what you have then. If we can convince people, my goodness, there's so many ways we can do it, isn't there? But we, we only aim for the things that we haven't yet been able to do to convince people, amen? Yeah. You know, there's lots that we have, isn't there? But what about what we haven't yet been able to do? That's what I want in my life and my future. To be able to convince people. My own family, don't you? You know, Many of them, I mean, I'm from a big family, and you know, don't follow Jesus. Everything, and it goes back to the very basics and the obvious foundation that I've been speaking of. Because I, I, I spent years not knowing this, but pastoring <coughs> on the mission field, I didn't know this. I didn't know the absolute imperative of agape love. And that's why Jesus commanded it. it. Everything is achieved because of it and nothing achieved above it or beyond it. I want to bring two words to us. One from Isaiah 43:19. Again, it's an obvious one really, but because the word's living, we can make this live now, even though we've all heard this before. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. 
Will you take that personally as well? Obviously we want that for the Acorn, but what about your life? Most of you are only just getting to know. I don't know what roadblocks are in your life, what's ahead of you, what's stopping you. But will you take that? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He'll make a way. Great Don Morn song, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Lovely. Second one, Isaiah 58 and 12. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of streets to dwell in. Obviously, we haven't lived here long in this, this, this part of the northeast, as in Monks Eaton, we live, but Whitley Bay. But I've, I've done quite a lot of prayer walking already, and um, I try and imagine what could be in these houses that are so squashed together, you know, around here. You know, if one shall tell another. Do, do, you, know, do you know how many miracles it would take? Only one. Oh, Believe for it, guys. Amen? Amen? A lot more to it. We know that. But let's believe for it. Let's believe for it. One, one voice. One catalyst. I believe God spoke to me in the past and said, as you commit yourself to pray, I will release all the prayers that have been prayed on this land that have not yet been answered. <laughs> so your prayers will be added to by prayers that have gone, where are they? Where are those prayers? You might not know this because uh, at Kingdom Life Church, where we are in Heaton, years and years and years ago, it was a monastery there. So, hallelujah, read yeah. the wells or what? <laughs> There's a monastery there. Wow. It would have been wilderness, I guess. I don't know. I think at the time, they'd have probably, Newcastle would have been very small or whatever, I don't know. But I would imagine it was like fields at the time, you know, that kind of visual. So, the church in its present state will not help most church believers to reach their full potential, as I said at the beginning. It just hasn't, so why would it? Come on, most of us in this room have been around for some time and in different situations, levels of ministry, etc. It would have if it was going to, wouldn't it? Do you think that? I logically think that. And I praise God for his I read, I read you know, so much about... The greats who've been before, I've got J. John's books on, you know, the evangelist J. John, I've got his books on the greats of history, you know, the William Wilberforces that I've mentioned. Harriet Beecher's Stowe, is it Stowe? Yes. Do I get a name right? Yeah. They said, in her life, they said she's the greatest woman in America. And she met Abraham Lincoln and he said to her, she said, look, you're the little woman who started this civil war. 
<laughs> Do you know what she's famous for? Anybody know? She wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. That's what she's famous for. It, it sold like 100 million in a year. And then it came to Britain and it sold millions. That one book. And it, it started, you know, the emancipation of the slaves in, in America through the Civil War. That's why, why we said that about Incidentally, as we, let me drop this into you. I, you know, I don't know what kind of relationships you've had with each other in the past, individually now. But mentioning Abraham Lincoln, something that stuck in my heart that he said, and I, I learned this years ago, he said, I destroy my enemies by making them my friends. Mm, hallelujah. Same result. Yes. It's the same result, isn't it? Whoa, we got, we got, you know, we got a fresh day, clean, clean road before us if we if we deal with it wisely put things behind you put it behind you we've all got to do it haven't we my goodness this 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 life doesn't allow you not to come to that place where you have to forgive people believers but there's something in it because jesus knew it would be this way because he said in the lord's prayer pray this Forgive me my sins as I have forgiven others at the same level. So if, if you're going with something dirty in your life to the Lord and say, forgive me, and he says, what you've done is worse than what you're not forgiving them for. So should I do it? Revolution in these things. Revolution. Our, our, our enemies are masterpieces a master worker on those things alone because he knows how it nullifies us. We need the world to look on us and see that difference as Jesus said, by this the world will know that you belong to me, the agape love you have for one another. That's it. That's the greatest form of evangelism. That's why the devil fights it tooth and nail. That's the observation of a kingdom citizen. Somebody who's mature enough to get that right is observed by the world and it's very attractive. I brought this scripture to us last week, didn't I? The secret mysteries, the secret things of the kingdom of God have been given to us. We're equipped. We're very equipped. To be a believer means that we've been let into the greatest secret of all. For ages it was hidden this. You probably know what I'm about to say. It's Jesus said it. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It was unthinkable before Jesus explained that, that, that God himself was going to live in us, people like us, people like Peter and Matthew and Judas, did he ever? I don't know. I haven't thought that one through, by the way. But anyway, he was there, wasn't he? That's my point. And God says, here it is. Mystery that's been hidden for ages. But now I'm going to reveal it to you. And I, I, I feel, as we go on in life, things we didn't know, that maybe were secrets to us, or hidden from us, you see, God, God doesn't... 
God doesn't want to hide his secrets. He wants us to find them. So ones we haven't yet found, that's why I said we're going to look at keys, getting keys to the kingdom. So we can, we can learn how to do this, you know, in, in this watch. Learned in the past, haven't we? But for this watch, come on then, Lord, we we've never used that key yet. So many who hear about church, as I said earlier, or give thought to God's church, would ever consider that church is a door into experiencing God's glory. They think it's boring, don't they? You know, when I grew up, I used to think you had to, you had to walk like, have a holy walk. <laughs> you know, if you, if you went to church, you had to have a holy walk. I don't know why the hands were behind the backs, but they were. <laughs> I did, honestly. I used to love and say, I don't want that. <laughs> you know, I want to go and play football. I don't want that. <laughs> but his intention was much more than that. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Wow. We had uh, David Campbell with us, and he's a big chap, David Campbell, and he was saying about Peter's shadow. He's a very funny man. He was saying, you know, if, if, if that happened to him, he said he could probably reach an old village. shadow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So the church proclaims the message of salvation. We're in buildings or wherever we're in. We're, we're observable, aren't we? But the kingdom through our lives is meant to reflect God's glory. So many who hear about church or give thought to God's church would ever consider what it's like to truly have Christ in us and to be filled with his spirit. So we have to proclaim and demonstrate God's kingdom. In scripture, the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are interchangeable. To help my thinking, the kingdom of God refers to God's government. Kingdom of heaven refers to its original location. So the great, wonderful, thrilling, exciting news is that the invisible kingdom of God that's always existed from heaven has now spread to the earth and it's become visible. So we have to embrace it even further and show it to the world. Luke 12, 32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. To give us a kingdom. What's in it? I know some of what's in it, by the way. You see, the earth won't last. <coughs> Have you thought much about this? You know, as nice as Whitley Bay is, etc., north the coast here, it's, it's, it's temporal. So, the earth won't last, and the heaven, present heaven won't last. But the kingdom will last. The kingdom's forever. And we're in it. We're the, we're the most fortunate people around, if that's, if that's an acceptable word. My goodness, we're born again. Forever. Thank you, Lord. And when I was when I was writing that and looking at that, I, 
I thought, because I believe we will inhabit the earth, at least, you know, in part. But I think there's a, there'll probably be a link in the new heaven to the new earth. Do you know what I mean? Like, you'll be able to just pass between the two. Why not? If it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, what, why, why do we think it has to resemble the old? Definitely going to be better, isn't it? A new heaven and new earth. As I said last week, guys, and I'm starting to wind up here, so we can pray, is this. I've forgotten what we're going to leave this I'm going to come back. Oh, Lord. <laughs> a lot goes on in my head, I'll tell you. No, yeah, so I'm, I was thinking about it. Lord, what's that going to be like? What's it? Imagine, imagine if you were going home tonight and you are in an earth that was much better than you'd ever experienced. And before you went to bed, you sat and paused and thought, I am living forever in paradise. That's what is bought. bought. We were purchased for that. Because that's what it's going to be like. You should let your imagination go there if you don't. It's not, this, this is passing, isn't it? It's temporal. Everything's temporal on earth. Because this age is passing. And we're going to be, I think, in both. Well, we certainly, I think, when we die, we go to heaven. You know, maybe after that. It's another Bible study, that, isn't it? You know, but I do believe we're going to inhabit the earth. Why, why have one? Why bother with a new earth? I think animals will be there, by the way. I think animals are in heaven. Why do I think that? Because Jesus is coming back on a horse. <laughs> so, if you love your pet, and you're in that place, or people said, no animals in heaven, so yes there is. There's at least horses. <laughs> so, if there's horses, to Mr. and Mrs. Titterton, your lovely dog will be there as well. Your father has been pleased to give you, Ronnie, a kingdom. Amen. Not just a boring life, or I go to church, which is not your, I know it's not your experience. No, no, kingdom. How, how, do, how does this affect my marriage? How does it affect my parenting? How does it affect my health? My finances? I'm a kingdom citizen. I have some rights. That's right. But I know, you know, in order to get those benefits, I have to live as Jesus wants me to live. Yeah. And there's the challenge that I'm bringing. Yeah. I've been a pastor a long time and dealt with lots of stuff. Keen Christians, non-keen Christians. Christians who were in terrible sin for years. I've been through it all. Have I got mercy and compassion? Absolutely. But I want better for people. Number one key that we must embrace, unlock and grow into is empowered is agape love. Because God himself is agape love. God is love. Three words. God is agape. I believe a heart that loves at the agape level will result in a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do miracles, exploits and heal the sick. 
So out of that foundation, we want to use effectively all the keys of the kingdom. And I hope you want to take hold of the keys of the kingdom that you've never had before. I 